Hello and welcome to the Hockey Hurts Podcast for September 26th of 2015. I'm Ryan Wilson. I'm Cameron Walsh. And this week we will be talking about the Pittsburgh Penguins and kind of how they look heading into the season. What are the uh, pros of this team? What are the cons? What are some of the things that um, just the different variables that come into play uh, going into the season for their success? And uh, there are some very interesting uh, dynamics going on here, mostly in the defense because from where I am, I think they have one of the best forward groups in the entire league, but it came at the expense of the defense. So um, we're going to take a look at kind of what some of their options are. They don't have as many bona fide top four defensemen as they have in the past. Um, Some guys could step up and we're going to discuss kind of who these players are and what might happen. So, um, so on defense, Walshy, what are we looking at here? Uh, a top six that I think as is is fine, but if anyone goes down, they're screwed. It, it's perfectly obvious watching the watching the game against Detroit when they didn't have Marta or Latang or Cole in the lineup that Skidari and Pouliot just aren't up to filling a a top four role. I I think it's pretty obvious at the moment that with all the upside that Pouliot has, he has to be sheltered in a bottom, bottom two pairing. I I don't think you can put him anywhere else. Scuderi should not be on uh, game one starting lineup, no matter what he thinks. Um, And it's really sad to see, but Goncha is toast. So if they can go through the year without an injury in their back six and they all play 82 games, they're fine. The reality of that happening with any team, let alone Pittsburgh, is impossible. I agree with uh, pretty much all of what you said. My, my disagreement would, would be on the Pouliot front. I would let him sink or swim um, and, and figure out if he can hold that down with Ian Cole. Uh, as the more, the more I research Ian Cole's... Um, kind of underlying numbers the the more he's he actually looks like a top four defenseman uh in kind of the possession events he creates and uh since he was traded to pittsburgh and in a different system than st louis um he had like what was it eight points in 20 games on defense with minimal power play time so that's pretty good who was he paired with, though, when he got those? Because this is the thing, I can't remember who he was paired with in those 20 games because that back six for Pittsburgh kept dropping and changing as the year, as the year got to the tail end because everyone kept going down. My concern is that if he and Pouliot have to play together, he might change the way he plays. And I don't know whether that would, would help either player in that sense, if that, if that actually makes any sense. No, you obviously change your styles based on your partner. Uh, regardless of what level you're playing at. But, um, well, I'll give you a stab at uh, who his most common Pittsburgh line mate was. I think it was Scuderi, wasn't it? 192 minutes of even strength hockey. They had a Corsi 4 percentage of 54, which is amazing. 
Yeah. So, look, it, and this, the reason I asked the question is I wanted to know who's playing with. And if it is with Scuderi, then you could pair him and Puglia up as your your second defensive pairing. And as you said, Cinco Puglia, he just doesn't look capable in his back, in his own end. It, it's one of those things where if he can't get that first pass out and get the team moving, they get stuck in the zone. Like, Obviously, that team they played against Detroit was, was sub-pass. So he would pass to certain players, and they wouldn't be able to handle the pass. Um, and, and that obviously then caught, you know, multiplied problems in the zone. Yeah, it creates more work could, again. Could, no, no, could, correct. So you've, you've sort of got to look at, you've got to put Pouliot in situations where he can succeed. So it looks as though they've got more top-end talent playing tomorrow against Columbus. Um, I think Pouliot's in the lineup. I can't remember, but he should be. The reason I'm saying that is that you've got to see if he can play well with the talent he's going to be playing with. And I had a look at the schedule. They've got like four games next week anyway. So they're going to have heaps of time to work that out. Obviously, they've got to shrink the roster down and, and start playing more of the um, starting night roster than than they are at the moment. So he's... It's funny when you get there and go, a guy like Pouliot shouldn't be a game changer in regards to whether this team sinks or swims. But in reality, he kind of is. Yeah, I'm not as down on him as you. I think that um, aesthetics can kind of cloud judgment. Um, don't get me wrong. There are some gaffes that Pouliot commits, and, and they're more obvious to see at times. But That's because um, the pucks are stick all the time. Yeah, and the, the thing is... Some of some of the better plays in hockey are, are not super obvious at times. They're very kind of just a little shift of the hips, making a, a five to ten foot pass to a guy that can catch it on his fork. Just little things like that that I think a lot of people take for granted. But um, you know, it's like a quarterback in football that's hitting a running back in stride on a swing play. Like it's not a hard throw, but the good ones will always put it where you need to put it. Yeah, as as opposed to having the guy stop and then start, and I yeah. think those are the kind of plays that Pouliot um, is very good at, and and of course in time and space he's he's excellent already. It, it's just a matter of creating that time and space a little bit more, but um, trust he, me, he, he, trust me, there's risk there, but I'm well, comfortable it's, taking that it's, risk. It's just, oh, and look, so am I. What I'm sort of trying to say is that. If anyone goes down and he has to elevate his role further, I just think you're asking too much of yeah, a guy. Yeah, but that's not that, on him. No, 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 no. That, that's 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 my point. I, I think they need to add another top four caliber. Yeah. Defenseman, and that's been everyone's complaint about this roster since it sort of settled after all the all the trades and the free agent signings. Everyone sort of looked at it and went, "Geez, they really would love to have had." Um, Martin or Erhoff back for, Man, you know. The Erhoff thing, jeez. I mean, I know we beat that Franzen drum pretty hard, but Erhoff for 1.5 mil, that, yeah. He just, he just wanted out. He obviously didn't want to come back after everything that happened to him there. I kind of can't blame him. No, I don't, I, I'm I don't like, think Pittsburgh offered him. And, and to me, that's baffling. I'd have him come back and, and just hope that he doesn't get injured again. But I can also understand why they didn't because of all the injuries that he had. So do you give up on Sid? <laughs> he had how many injuries? And I'm not comparing. I'm not comparing the two, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah, injuries, a concussion, it happens. It. Yeah, no, no, I, I fully agree. It is, it is a little baffling, but that, 
And it's it's funny, people of grudges, I really would like to have had the spray back instead of having Lovejoy. Lovejoy will play in the lineup where he's supposed to now. Okay? Yeah, and then hate, he, if Yeah. Hate the trade. The player's not useless. Lovejoy nah. is a fine bottom pairing defenseman. But the, the, the trade was atrocious. You can't go back and change that. Lovejoy is on the team at one point one million, I believe that's his price. It is. Okay, one point one million. That's fine. That mm. is good value. He's okay if he stays there. If he gets elevated but, again, it's like, yeah. Uh, but that was the problem with the trade because Dupre, I think, could potentially already yep. be in that top four uh, yep. as the number four, and I don't yep. think Lovejoy can do that. Nope, and, and that's the thing. You get there and say you do have Dupre in the lineup. You get there and you, you do have Latang, Marta, Dupre, Cole, Pouliot, whoever you want to have as your six. Um, and you can sort of see who thinks he should be in that top six, but um, you could have, you know, Clendinning there. You could have Dumoulin in there. Um, you could have X-Ray in there. You know what I mean? Like, there are options that they can, they can rotate through that sixth spot, but just at the moment, they just need that one extra guy back there because if this team stays healthy... They're fine. You know what I mean? I think that back six, as is... <laughs> the most injured team in the last five years. Yeah. I know. I know, I know. But you get there and go, that team constructed as is might give up an extra half a goal a game over the course of the season. They're going to score more than an extra half a goal than they did last year. So it balances out in regards to the way they've changed their roster. They're relying on Fleury to continue to produce like he has the last two seasons. Um, it's not a, an unfair uh, request. So injuries, it's the same thing every year, isn't it? Injury in the back six is going to decimate this this team's ability to get the puck to the forwards. You just have to pray pray that they don't have that happen to them. Well, the nice thing about your flurry point is, and, and I've looked at some of this research, um, goalie save percentages are, for the most part, independent of the shot volume. So no, you've made that argument before. Is that he's improved himself? It's not been what's happened around him. It's been himself that's improved. Yeah, I think for the most part, goalies can own their um, results. Yeah, so that's a bonus in that sense. He's had two good seasons in a row now. There's no reason to think that that's going to change with the change of the the, the team in front of him. Um, in theory, the Penguins should have the puck a lot more anyway, so he shouldn't see a lot of shot volume as it is. And you've already just said that shot volume is independent. So, Yeah, I think um, as far as Flurry goes, you said two good seasons, agreed. Um, and you would think it wouldn't change. And this point isn't specific to Flurry, but who knows with the goalies. <laughs> it could change. Not a, yeah. Um, but that wouldn't be a Flurry point. That would just be, hey... That's what these guys do, except yeah. for the few elite ones. They they go up and down, and uh, hopefully you get more ups than downs. But uh, mm. usually it's a, a nice little roller coaster. The the people that but play that position put you on. That's why the elite guys are elite. They're consistent. That's the that's the difference. I think we, we've started to work out. So, well, I have to admit, I I love seeing. Uh, Sergei Gonchar in a Penguins uniform. He was um, a, just a, f- a terrific Penguin in his in his five years that he uh, spent 
coming out of the lockout uh, culminated with the Stanley Cup. And then uh, the year after, actually, I guess it ended on a little bit of a sour note. Wasn't he the one that got walked? Oh, that uh, he turned the wrong way. It just Flurry gave just, up a softy on it as uh, you know as, as well. well. Yeah. Um, but he's back, and he had that nice power play goal, a little nice nostalgia. Um, but I think that's kind of where the the positives end. I, I he's just he doesn't. He doesn't trust his foot speed because it's gone, and so he backs up too far and too early. So the other team escapes the zone too easy. It's just yeah, it's just unfortunate. The brain's still there. You, you can see he knows where he needs to be and what he needs to do. It's just he just can't he can't get there where he needs to be. So he compensates by creating a large gap, and it's just bad. I mean, he screened Fleury on a couple of goals in that first game against. Um, I think it was Carolina, and you just sort of sit there and go, I'm sorry, but we've already got a pylon on the roster. We don't need a second. Yeah. Um, his even strength play was going to, you know, mm-hmm. be be where, you know, they're playing him a lot to see what he's got. and, and... Which is smart. That's exactly what this time of the year is for. So you don't have to play Latang and Marta and all that sort of stuff. You're probably playing for the last two games, but now you just play the guys you don't know enough about. Try and find what you can find out about them. Yeah, but I think we know where, where this one stands. And, um, yep. So what would be the one reason you would keep Gonchar around for? Uh, you keep him around as a coach. <laughs> well, okay. That's it. As a player, what what would be the one reason you would keep him around? Well, the the one you could try and make an argument for is um, the power play. But you've got guys that can run that. You've got Latang that can, even though he screws it up at times. You've got Marta who can. Um, you've got Pouliot who can. So there's no need to legitimately have him on the roster. That's, that's the reality there. He doesn't provide anything that other players on the roster can't already do. I think he's still pretty good on the probably on the power play if it's set up in the zone. Can't get the zone, though, can he? Whereas Chris Letang is so great at uh, helping uh, the zone entries on a power play, but I've never been uh, I've never been in love with him quarterbacking a power play, like Gonchar. So it's, really, it's really simple. Get the puck into the zone and then just put Gonchar on the ice. Just do a line change. But here's the other problem. You want to... We, anybody who's listened to this podcast knows my opinion on specialists. If you can't play at even strength, you can't play. And the team would be better off, any team, if if you're looking at a player and they can't play at even strength, I think you're doing it wrong. Because especially a power play specialist, because I I looked into this, uh, all the Stanley Cup champions since Pittsburgh in 09, what do you? What would you guess is the top-ranked Stanley Cup champion power play? It's not. It's not that high. It, that's the thing. I think they're in the mids, aren't they? Like they're middle of the pack. They're not. Sixteenth in two thousand and nine, twenty ten, Chicago was sixteenth overall. That's the highest yeah. power play ranking of any of the champions since then. So I guess my point is. You can't take up a roster spot for a guy that's going to play, f- especially a defenseman who, you know, they play more because there's not four lines of defense. There's only three, three pairings. 
a guy that's only going to play six or seven minutes at even strength and not do it effective, um, and and with a league that's calling less and less power plays, I just I I can't I can't do the power play specialist thing, especially. I know I just criticized Latang. He's more than capable with the other four forwards out there doing an okay job. Derek Pouliot is supposed to be that's like his thing. He can do it. And quite frankly, Ali Mata is more than capable of doing such a thing yeah. as well. They've got three options there and all the three options they've got in front of Gonchar basically uh, uh either exceptional or okay at even strength whereas Gonchar has gone past okay, uh, even past bad to terrible. So it's just sad to see a guy um, who's hanging on, and you can't blame him for hanging on because he loves the sport, obviously, but it, it's past him. Oh, never fault the player for keeping going. It's management's, um, it's on management to decide what's yep. appropriate there. Never fault the player in that. God, no. Uh, I love the Gonch. I hope, um, I hope there's some kind of off-ice uh, role. And he can stay. He should just take over Tockett's role. He should just be the power play coach. That's not going to happen, but I'm. I know not, that. I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not against. I'm not against. Uh, I don't know if he has to take a guy's job, but like, just having him around. I know Malkin will love it, and and that's not to be undersold. He deserves uh, some buddies as long as it's not compromising the on ice product. No, and yeah, if there was a way to keep him around, then it's it's all thumbs up. As long as it doesn't involve an on-ice role uh, when the games are being played, then it, it, we're all good. So. so so, we have another defenseman that is uh, on the opposite side of the spectrum, known for his uh, quote-unquote defense, but he's also older, can't move, and ineffective. But he has a legit contract, not on a PTO, and, and, and that would be Rob Scuderi. And... Um, he seems pretty confident in his abilities yeah, based I watched, on his quotes I, lately. I watched the Detroit game, and he can't hit an outlet pass to a player in stride, full stop. And the team breaks out, and then the team has to swing back around to start their breakout again. And when you're playing against Detroit, who played a, a 1-2-2 um, back behind the red line, as soon as you do that, they're screwed. They could not, because they don't have, they didn't have game breakers out there like Latang um, and, and Marta, um, and Pulliot wasn't out on the ice with Scuderi very often. They didn't have someone to carry the puck and, and break it open to force Detroit to, to move out of their system. So he flips it off around the glass, makes a safe play, turns the puck straight over, gets off the ice. My job's done. See you later, guys. And yeah, it's but just that, doesn't, that does not absolve the problem of the transition no. game of the guys coming on the ice after he does it. Cor- correct, and and that's that's the problem with with that you know quote unquote safe play philosophy of throw it off the glass, get the puck out of the zone. I'll get off the ice. My job is done. It it it's taking it's it's taking responsibility off your own stick basically, and saying I'm done. I don't have anything else to do. So. It's it's frustrating that he seems to think that you can't have six offensive players on the roster, so therefore I'm going to get my spot purely because of what I'm considered as a player. And I don't think that works in Johnson's system. The players need the puck quickly and with speed, and he can't provide that. 
and he can't even he can't even stop things from happening anyway. He's he's so stationary when he stands in front of the goalie, he screens the goalie more often than not. And he, I give him credit; he is very good at stopping that cross crease pass. But you can teach that skill. Uh, I don't think he's that great at it. But like you said, the off the glass stuff—it's like punting in football. It's a choice. You're actively making a choice to give it away. Yeah, you've gone, no, okay, we can't do anything here. I'm going to throw it away, and then I'll let someone else recover it back. I obviously can't. Hopefully we'll stop them. Yeah. But ultimately, if you find people that don't have to be in a situation of uh, punting it with, you know, punting it away or going off the glass, if uh, more agile skaters, more puck skill defensemen that can create on their own, and then buy time to hit a forward in stride. That's what we're looking for. And I know you just briefly mentioned it, but there's some quotes that Scuderi made to uh, Josh Yoey of uh, DK Pittsburgh Sports that I thought were interesting. And he said, hey, Come yes, on, give him out, give him out. Yeah. Yes, there's a lot of young talent on this blue line, no question. And that's great. That's all part of it. But I've never heard of a team out there that's decided to go with six offensive defensemen. And it's like, uh, no, it's, that's not what they are. They're, they're, they're players with puck skills. Don't, don't try and paint that as a negative that they have the ability to make plays. Um, the idea of defensive defensemen has been such a flaw for so many years. And one that I bought into growing up, because we just didn't know any better. And I've grown just very tired of people defending defensive defensemen when really what we're talking about is players that are always playing defense because their team never has the puck and they're always in their own zone. Yeah, it's it's one of those things. I wouldn't call Ben Lovejoy an offensive defenseman and I wouldn't call um, Ian Cole an offensive defenseman. I'd call them players that are more than capable of handling the puck and allowing the people on the ice with them to create offense. I would call Latang an offensive defenseman because of his ability to jump into play. I would say the same about Pouliot. Um, I wouldn't call Marta an offensive defenseman because he just has such a well-rounded overall overall game. Just like I wouldn't call Drew Doughty an offensive defenseman. He's all all over game. He's, he's so good that I couldn't get there and say he's bad in his own to make him an offensive defenseman. And he's... He's not um, bad, and he's when he's on the offense that he's a defensive defenseman. You you can be an all round defenseman and be great. Like Carlson's an offensive defenseman, right? Because he's got flaws in his game in the back end. But they're, those things, are overblown, though. No, but they're things that if he improves on them slightly, like two or three percent, no one will give a toss. No he's one will a care. Two-time Norris winner. Yeah, no, I know, but he still cops that he's just an offensive defenseman. But if you've got the puck on your stick as often as he Only does... from people the... with dated philosophy. But that's the thing, though. Like, he has the puck on his stick so often, you are going to make mistakes, and particularly as a defenseman, when the puck is on his stick so much for that Ottawa team, you're going to make errors. And, I mean, it's the same thing with, with Latang. And you get there and you go, Drew Doughty has the same problem. Um... Oh, Duncan Keith, it's the same. The puck's on their stick so often, and they're the first 
the, the, they've got the puck on their stick first to obviously start the breakout play. Their decision-making has to be so quick and so instinctive that they're going to get it wrong sometimes because someone's going to read off that and, and steal the puck or take it away from them. So I would much rather have the possibility of something creative happening off their stick and having an error done rather than just have the puck on the stick flick it off the glass, get it out of the zone. And when they make turnovers trying to make plays, it's like super obvious to the eyes and it sticks in a memory. Oh, it's egregious, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but but that's what you remember. It's like, oh yeah, my course. God, did you see that terrible play? It got what picked off and went the other way. But nobody gives a toss about the high off the glass play. Everybody just assumes, hey, you know, he got it out, but it's a shit play. And the other guy maybe turns it over once out of the 20 times, and all the other times it's a controlled, beautiful zone exit that leads to neutral zone flow, which creates your zone entries that creates the great offense you want. 19 out of 20 times that happens, but God forbid that obvious, uh, that, that, you know. Yeah. The guy at the bar notices and bitches about. It's not a, it, and the the thing that's funny though is it's not a bad transition. You get there and go, you look at that forward grouping that the Penguins have got. When they roll out that top six, you you will I would give up three bad passes out of twenty for the other seventeen getting the rest of that top six on the fly out of the zone into the offensive zone in three on two situations because they've broken the first half of the four check. To be honest, that that top six will um, – it's perfectly abundant that they are going to score a lot of goals this year. Um, it, it's, it's, that, it's that clear. The speed that, that Crosby and Kessel have got together um, is just fun. I don't think there's any other way to explain it. And deadly, maybe. And, and he followed those, those other quotes up with, I know offensively I don't have the talent that these other guys do. But you know what? I can support the play just like anybody else. I can no, you can't. I can shoot the puck and create some opportunities for our forwards. And no, I will not uh, criticize a player for defending himself in in the media. Uh, but what I will say is that he's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I don't expect him to say. Well, geez, you know, I've, I'm kind of the guy here that uh, just not fitting in, you know. Um, no, I don't fault him for saying that, but um, no, at the same time, I don't have to take that as the uh, as true. That's gospel. But it's funny you get there. He knows he's the odd man out in this roster. Otherwise, he wouldn't be saying those things. That that's the reality. He knows his spots in trouble because you never hear Scuderi say anything about himself. It's always about the team this, the team that. We've got to get to it. You know all those sorts of things. The fact that. You know, yo, he's gone out and asked him a question, and then he's felt the requirement to actually answer it about himself. Just shows you how worried he is about actually having a spot in the roster, and that's not a bad thing. But I think I think something that is, um, you know, and you can't really, you try not to read into preseason too much. Mm. But Mike Johnson did give the green light to read into the defense pairings, and quite frankly. Skidari did not play until the third preseason game in Detroit, which was last night. And that was hot. Stephen half a roster, and he got paired with like a guy I've never heard of. Was it Anderson? He got paired. I can't no, remember. no, I've heard of him. 
Go ahead. <laughs> no, he was the Swedish guy they signed over the summer. Oh, right here. He was, God, he was terrible that game too. But uh, yeah. anyways, he was paired with, um, I'm trying to look in this, the quotes in the, in this interview. And uh, yeah, he's not, his partner's not even mentioned. So, um, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like they're not yeah. playing, like Gonchar, they're yeah. given the, the hard look to. Um, but Scuderi, it's almost like it's out in the open now. Like, hey, all right, it's you're in your third year of your deal, and it, we didn't sign this. Uh, that's the New Jersey GM that signed this, and and we're just we're just not rolling with this anymore. All right, and we're gonna try and force you to go. All right, I'll go in here so I can play. That that's what it feels like. And that's, that's how it should be. I mean, I'd much rather have Pouliot and Dumoulin as the bottom pairing guys or Dumoulin and Lovejoy as the bottom pairing guys or even Lovejoy and Clendinning or Clendinning and, and, and Dumoulin. Like, there's so many other options that Pittsburgh can can roll with and all they're probably going to want out of their bottom pairing guys is not to get, not to get roasted at the moment. So, I don't know. Well, that covers the D, yes. Another... Um, oh, not on the D. Uh, uh, you're right. We've covered the D. Can we get to the fun stuff, though? Strength of team. Yeah. Where do you want to start? Mr. Kessel? Yeah, he's, this is really awesome. Like, finally seeing him in uh, game action with Sid. I mean, July 1, when, when he gets traded, and, you know, the offseason's super fun around july 1st and the draft and that kind of stuff just from uh we all love seeing hockey moves but yeah that's kind of the adrenaline you need when there's not games and then you get through late july and august and but now that hockey on ice hockey is starting up again you're like yeah this is really happening phil kessel is on the penguins he is going to play with Sidney crosby and they're freaking awesome. And they're going to be good. It's just one of those things. Because you'd have to say that Hoss is the last top quality player that Sid's got to play with. And they were awesome when they played together for that playoff run. And you go, well, we've got Sid and, and Phil for the next, what is it, five years at least? Or is it six years? I can't remember seven. how long. Seven, seven years. So, yeah. Phil's only the, one year into that eight-year deal. Jeez, I tell you what, and they've got it at a discounted rate as well. Um, yeah, he's he looks happier as well. <laughs> you see him in the interviews. I'd be happy stuff. too if that ass hat Steve Simmons wasn't bothering me every day. Yeah, no, I can I can understand that, but it just you get there, and I think I read a, a quote somewhere saying, "How many tipping goals did Phil Kessel get uh, in all his time in Toronto uh, last year in Toronto?" I think it was zero. What's his first goal with the Penguins is a tip. First two. But yeah, so you get there with it and it's like, um, yeah, they're going to be a lot of fun. I don't think it's really going to matter who they put on the freaking left wing, to be honest. Well, we'll get it, we'll get more into that. But the, your point on the, on the tippins, well, guess what? Tyler Bozak does not command the attention of Sidney Crosby. When Tyler Bozak is quote-unquote, streaking down the wing. Nobody <laughs> gives a shit. <laughs> All right, Tyler, do your thing. We're going to cover Phil. 
Um, Phil has rarely played with a, a centerman that is definitely better than him offensively. There's very few that you could say that about in the league that are better than him offensively. No, that's a good point, actually. Yeah. Sid is one of uh, the one. That's his centerman. When Sid drives on a on a, on those quick transition plays towards the net, do you really think the other defenseman's just going to be like, yeah, you know, Phil's over here. Sid, go ahead. You, you take that lane. No, it's going to open up more um, real estate in that crease front area because they're going to generate so much speed on the rushes that they're going to have this time and space. And considering how great Sid is at passing, he's going to find these little tiny um, areas. And he's he has the talent to sauce it over a stick, put it under a stick, where Phil just needs to get something on it and redirect it. And those were the two goals that, it, yes, it's preseason, but that doesn't change the sport. Like, that was the situation. And uh, Phil had a stick down, although the one was funny. He had a one hand on it and, and mm. scored. But the point stands. Sid drove. Attention had to be split between the two of them. And it opened up just enough. And as we know, just enough is more than enough, enough for Sid. It's it's one of those things, though, where I don't know whether... If Kessel gets off to a hot start, so say he gets there and in the first 10 games he's got six or seven goals, right? Teams will start sitting off Sid because they're going to go, Great. well, Sid's just going, to, Sid's just going to pass it to Phil. So I expect Crosby to score more goals this year because of that. And, and that's a great thing. If you get two guys that score 35 each on a line in this day and age, uh, it's 70 goals from one line. That's not even including the, the left wing that ends up on that line who will get garbage goals. From it, whether it's Kunitz, Perron, or or Dupuy, or whoever, you know what I mean. It's not really going to matter. They're going to contribute purely because people are just going to forget they're there. Yeah, and I I think that's a those kind of two goals that were scored the other night, and, and people from Toronto, you know, referencing that we didn't see him score those kind of goals, and they're they're not wrong. Um, no, no, no. But but game situations didn't dictate that being a regular occurrence for Toronto because who other than Nazem Kadri does Toronto have that anybody would be like concerned about? Uh, guess what? For unknown reasons, Kadri never centered Kessel. No, I know. It's, yeah. So you know, it's as a Penguins fan, it, it, it's great to see. I mean. They've Did got you see option. the D back up when they both skate into the zone? They just back off because of the speed. It's going to be awesome. But that plays into our defense points we were making. Controlled exits lead to controlled entries. And if Crosby and Kessel are making the controlled entries, good night. Well, same with, with, with Malkin and, and, and Hornquist and, and Perron and, and all those sorts of guys. It's like they do have a second line who's kind of okay um, it's the one thing that they're extremely lucky with. You've got that whole trickle-down economics with the, the depth chart now. So they're actually in, in good position. Okay, left wing. I know where I stand on this. You want Kunis to have another crack, don't you? Yeah, I think, I think it's obvious. To so... Me. 
this is the thing. You get there and you go, there are three guys that can play in the top two slots with the way this roster's set up at the moment. And that's not even including Plotnikov um, in, in that because you get there and you go, you've got Dupuy, Kunitz and Perron that can all play down the left. So I don't really care. I just want whoever meshes well with either of the two centres play there. That's as simple as that for me. If that means that Dupuy ends up on the second line with Geno, not that they've ever really shown a, a, a great chemistry there, um, I, I don't give a toss as long as it all works. So Kunitz and Malkin had that absolutely ridiculous year together. I don't know why those two don't play together more often. Um, yeah, but so, Kunitz has success with either of them. No, I, I, I know. And you get there and go, you know what you get out of Kunitz, so when they play together. So why don't you just rotate whoever you can through through that left wing and see if anyone clicks. If they don't, just throw him back up there. Here's what's he, lost in Kunitz's bad finish last year, and it was. He, he did not um, produce enough tangible offense to, um, you know, when you're in the top yes. six with Sid or Gino, there has to be um, tangible results even if you are contributing positively to the flow of the play. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think we'll see that again out of Kunitz. I don't think he magically forgot how to play. I don't think it's an age-related thing. I think you're dealing with uh, an iron deficiency uh, that was reported. I and, But also, uh, didn't he crack his foot? I, I think so. But the, the, the just all you're wanting to do is just convert better than the minus 6.8% he had on his shooting percentage. Really, if that just goes back up to his career average, he's fine. But here's the underrated part of Kunitz's game. He's so good at putting pucks into spots for people like Sid to skate into with speed. So it's like that swing pass thing that we were talking about earlier in the podcast. Yeah, this, The guy can just fly through yeah. it. And he's really good at that kind of stuff. And those are the kind of things that, I don't know, maybe the untrained eye doesn't really kind of respect. Um, you know, those are underrated things that lead to the success of the high-end players. He's so, a great complementary piece. Of course, all throughout his career, even in Anaheim, he has benefited from playing with very good players, but he has also not held those players back. He's actually no. been a great complementary piece. And that's so, what he is. He's the Scotty Pippen, um, lower-end Scotty Pippen. What you know, a great basketball reference. That was awesome. I don't have many basketball references, but... Uh, oh, I love that one. That one is beautiful. I was playing Bulls vs. Blazer on my uh, <laughs> Super Nintendo <laughs> emulator earlier today uh, for about 10 minutes. Tear. That's actually quite a good game, man. I quite like that. You are on a tear with that freaking emulator at the moment. <laughs> I love it. Even though before the podcast I told you that I beat seven uh, boards on Zelda and forgot to save it. That was very depressing. That's, made, it, uh... made it all the way to the Dark World. And uh, <laughs> I, try, I loaded it up today, and I was back in Link's house with four hearts. And I was like, oh, shit. I'm not doing this. <laughs> Where are my Pegasus boots? <laughs> um, it's... Yeah, and you're exactly right about Kunitz. It's just, you could see he got so frustrated last year because he was missing open nets at one stage there, and you just go, it's just not meant to be. I've already mentioned before how I think the PDA train, good and bad, attaches to a team and sticks with them for a whole year. 
he just hit him hard, the, the negative PDO train. And, and you get there and just go, once it attaches it to you, it's like a monkey on your back. You can't get rid of it. So new year, new body, no more iron deficiency. They've sorted that out. No more cracked foot. Everything sits there for him to um, – he doesn't have to have a bump a year. He just has to score a few more goals. Um, he'll still get his assists because of everything you just mentioned in regards to allowing the high-skilled players to hit the puck with speed in stride. And this game is all about speed. It would not surprise me if Pittsburgh get a stack of power play opportunities at the start of the year, um, and then that'll change because either teams will back off and stop giving them to them, or the the officials will just stop calling them. I think I'll have twenty goals, fifty well, points. And you're okay with that as a, as a, a third part to an extremely productive. And I'll, you, and I'll tell you why that's extremely okay. I'm saying that he'll have twenty goals and fifty points, and he's not going to see the power play time that he's been accustomed to. I think that's... he's going to earn that even strength for the most part, uh, playing with just two superstars. Yeah, yeah and that's yeah, good. Fine. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. So you've got there, and I suppose you've convinced me we'll lock him in at the number one. Who do you want to see riding left side with Gene and Hornquist? Yeah, uh, I'm also pretty uh, bullheaded on this. It's David Perron. I agree. I I don't have an argument with that. If you're going to get there and say that Kunitz is locked in at one, then you, you lock Perry in at two and let Plotnikov and, and Dupuy slot up and down the, the bottom two left I'm, wings. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of bullheaded on that too, but we'll get to that later. Um, <laughs> Perron is extremely skilled. Um, he... His possession game was good throughout the year last year, too, even though he had cracked ribs and really that affected his ability to kind of finish on some of his opportunities. It's one of those things with cracked ribs. I mean, shooting the puck, whether it's wrist or slap shot, is such a rotational body movement. Do that with a cracked rib. It's hard enough to breathe with a cracked rib. (laughs) Trying to do those things, it just... It doesn't matter how much you go, oh, I'm not going to hurt him any more than they already are. It just hurts. So you're going to not quite be right. Like, he started off on a tear when he was on Sid's wing, and then he cracked his rib, and it all went downhill from there. So, you know, apparently he's come back with uh, in better condition. Um, looks like he's flying on the ice. He worked on his skating in the offseason as well. Uh, it's no coincidence that this is a contract year. So there's a lot of things that are pointing in the right direction for him to actually do well. Um, he gets to play with a, a, an elite center, um, and he doesn't have to be that net front presence because he's got one there. So he can be that third wheel that teams forget about, and he scores. I really, I, I think he's a really good player. Um, yeah, you were keen when he got tra- when he got traded. You were you were real high on that as an idea. Yeah, his his possession numbers throughout his career have been terrific. Um, he helps the flow of the game out because he's cerebral. He has great puck skills. His idol is Alexei Kovalev, and you can kind of see a little bit of that um, in his play and how he handles the puck, the curve of his stick. Um, I, Yeah, he didn't finish the year offensively great, much like Kunitz, um, but he still contributed positively as far as are we playing in our own end a lot when I'm on the ice? And the answer was no to that question. Now, he's going to improve the offensive side of things if he comes in healthy and he's playing with other good players. 
I think people like have a skewed expectation on what a good offensive player is these days. And 60 points is like a really great number. That's unfortunate that that's the number, but that's what it is now. I know, and and it's one of those things where I gripe on this all the time, and I think I bring it up in every goddamn podcast, but unless the league decides to change the way the game's called, you're looking at Sid getting, or whoever ends up winning the Art Ross, I don't know if they're going to crack 100. And you get there and you look at it and you go, that really sucks. We've got so much top-end talent in the league these days, and they're not being given a chance to shine and i'd like to see them shine at five on five so that's not a matter of of um if you just keep calling penalties teams will stop taking them they will back off and then players the elite players have more space five on five because they're not getting held they're not getting tripped they're not getting hooked and, and it comes down to whether the nhl wants an explosive league that people go oh wow highlight real goals or whether they just want it to be tight close games because you know, that looks as though there's um, parity in the league. So I just don't know what they want. No. They need... I, Gosh, <laughs> I, I just hope that they understand the problem here. The, the trend in which the league is going and, and the, what they're missing out on. Uh, basketball uh, with Steph Curry and LeBron in the finals. Like, I'm not a big basketball guy it's not really it you know i played hockey growing up the basketball is the same season as hockey yeah kind of have to pick one and clearly i'm you know co-host of a hockey podcast we we know which one i picked there but but that final uh, skill was on display yep and i watched it because i enjoy watching great athletes uh do the things that make them great. Yeah, the the opportunity. And um, I don't think the NHL really does a great job at that, and that's really unfortunate. And I think the average fan, um, especially in our age group, like I'm 33 now, and and you're older than I am by just a touch. Yeah. And we grew up with 100 points as as an automatic for your, your top point scorers. And that's just not the case anymore. So especially people in our age group, um, you need to dial back what the expectations are of what a successful offensive season is in the NHL these days. And that's 50 to 60 points. Unless you're like super high end, then you're getting to the 70. Because the highest, Sidney Crosby had 84 points last year. He's clearly the best player in the sport. So If a guy's getting 55 points and you're giving him shit because he's he's not producing enough, I mean, come on. That's, there's been nothing it's a product that, of the game now. Yeah, there's been nothing that makes me think that there's going to be a change of direction in how the game's called. For some unknown reason, the NHL seem to think that it's, it's fine and that everything's going well, which really frightens me for when you get the two expansion teams to come in because – they're just going to allow the top-end elite talent to get hooked and held because they're not going to want the expansion teams to get absolutely spanked. So that was the problem with the expansion when it, it came in and we expanded out to from 26 to 30 teams, and it's going to be the problem when we expand to 32 
is that the NHL is not going to want those bad teams to get absolutely walloped and they're going to allow them to clutch and grab and hold and slow things down and that's just how it works. So be ready for, you know, 1995 to 2002 style hockey. But we do agree. Kunitz, Crosby, Kessel. Yep. Perron, Malkin, Hornquist. Yep. Okay. So we're on the third line. I think we both agree with fair out Eric fair out for the beginning of the year that Bonino is the third line center. Yes. And he's been sick. So welcome to Pittsburgh, Nick. Hey, look, if he's only been sick, that's a, that's a step forward for this franchise. But he'll be centering. So who are the wingers? Um, well, I would put Dupuy in it at left wing and, and Bennett on the right wing. Wow. And the thing that... Just I, on the same page. <laughs> I, find, I find Bennett intriguing in that he actually looked all right in that game against Detroit, which was hard because... They were the whole team was terrible. They were like a couple of highlight guys. You go, okay, I can see that there's something there. But Bennett actually looked good. You could see he's thinking the game well. He's not scared to. He's, funny thing is, he wasn't scared to drop down and block a shot. But he's not scared to get in the corners, win some puck battles. He goes to the front of the net. Um, you know, he could end up pushing someone out of a top six spot off the, on his off wing. He could take that spot up against Gino, but for now, keep him on that right-hand side and just let him succeed because, like like they've tried to tell us, they want four lines that can play with the puck. If he's your third or your fourth-line winger on that right-hand side, then it's thumbs up, really. Yes. I'm an unabashed Bo Bennett supporter. Oh, really? Um, yeah, I know. Um, he's not a game-breaker, and I know that some people uh, – kind of want that out of a first round pick he's not a game breaker he's going to be um complimentary less physical kunitz in the sense very cerebral able to handle the puck quite well and able to play with better players and not hold them back and i think those are the kind of players you fill your depth out with so the people that want him gone because he's been hurt i i get the frustration about the injury stuff i mean i'm terribly frustrated about that as well and i'm sure he's the most frustrated about that um, <laughs> but to say he's not a good player i i just don't understand how you can get to that point because you see him when he gets the time and space when he has other people that aren't inept around him he he can create uh situations where he draws people in and leaves pucks in good spots for his teammates um, I, I really am looking forward to it. And apparently, you know, here's the deal. Every player that comes into camp is in the best shape of their life. You know what I mean? Every year. Yeah, they, not, well, that's oh, I worked out so hard this summer, but, um, I do, I do think Bo probably fits into the, some of those examples of somebody that has taken it a little bit more serious. He only got a one year offer. He had no choice. As an RFA. And if we're being honest, he had an entire offseason to train without a nagging injury. So that has to help, too. Yeah. He had, listen, he's not a superstar. I know that. He's a very good 
complementary player and the kind of complementary player you find on uh, high-end teams, in my opinion. Yeah, and and that's that's what you want out of him. And if he ends up on your third, um, then that's that's fine. I've got no issues with that at all. And the fact that, you know, we've not really mentioned the awesome news that Dupuy is playing again and he's going to be in a third-line role, which is where you technically want him to be on a Stanley Cup contending team. Don't forget that he was a fourth-line left winger when they won the Cup in 09. Um, Just shows you that the depth in this team is filled out. Beautiful. Yeah, I... It's so nice to have a third line. You know? Yeah, I know. It's it's you get there with it and you go, that's the third line roll out there. So you've got Cullen at center. Plotnikov on the left wing on the fourth, is that right? I do. And and that's not um don't interpret that as me thinking that he's like inept. Think of that as there's just better options on the left wing in front of him. We're talking about Chris Kunitz, who has been an awesome winger for Crosby over the years, had a, a, a bad half season, and we're willing to hedge our bets that he's going to bounce back. David Perron, who um, has been a, a really good winger for most of his career, even though he may not hit some of the offensive expectations, uh, unrealistic offensive expectations in the era that he plays at left wing on the second line. And Pascal Dupuis, who... Um, by the way, has uh, an even strength. Now, mind you, this is probably Crosby-driven to a point. <laughs> One of the best points per 60 at even strength in the entire NHL. I mean, you can say, oh, well, he plays with Sid, but that doesn't guarantee that you're going to have a top points per 60 in the NHL because there are plenty of guys that play with Ryan Getzlaff and Corey Perry, and John Tavares, and Backstrom, and Ovechkin, and that right winger ain't doing shit with Washington. No, 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 no. And look, that's the that's the the bonus that they've got. I mean, you throw him down there, and, and hopefully, with everything that he's done with City, he can help push things along. I mean, the the good thing with Dupuis is he's a speed demon. One of the knocks on Benino is he's not the fastest skater going around, but if he can hit that pass to Dupree with speed, Benino not having a lot of leg speed is not going to be a problem. Dupree is defensively responsible, so if they can work out that Benino is going to be uh, a couple of strides back because he doesn't have the leg speed, they can cover that off with Dupree there. Bennett, I, I don't know what to expect in, in that other half of his game yet. He's just not been on the ice enough for me to sort of look at what he does in the defensive zone to work out what's going on. So, Well, he blocked that shot the other night, and I was like, oh, don't do that. And, he, and he hobbled <laughs> off, and I'm like, yes. here we go again. And, um, you know, I tweeted out, I go, I really hope that's one of those stingers because uh, anybody who's, who's played wing uh, knows – you know, eventually you're going to get caught yep. getting drilled with the puck on your foot like that. And we all know the feeling. You, you know, you you hobble back to the bench and you're like, oh, Jesus. But three, four, five minutes later, you're like, oh, thank God. It's not that. It's It was, <laughs> it was, it was just, you know, yep. the, the stinger, stinger variety. And you get back out there. And that's what happened with them. But um, 
I'm not concerned with his defensive positional play. Um, I don't think he excels by any stretch at it. I don't think he's a liability either. That's all you want. It's just not a liability. So, but with liabilities with this team, who fills that right wing spot on the fourth line until Eric Fair comes back? Because everyone will shuffle around once he returns. Well, great question. I, um, you said uh, before we we came on here that that you watched the entire Detroit um, Pittsburgh preseason yeah. game. I, I watched the first period. Uh, I actually had uh, my own game that I had to go to. Uh, but from what I read kind of afterwards, Connor Sheary did not do well. Is that fair? It's, it's fair. He just he can't think the game quick enough playing in the top six, and I, it means I don't think he's going to be the right sort of player to put down on that fourth line. I just don't think he will be. He was kind of my guy that I thought was going to... Well, everyone was sort of hoping, like, Gino set him up for a couple of glorious chances, and he just... He flubbed them because he wasn't expecting them, which is not a good thing, but understandable when you, you think about some of the stuff that, that Gino can do when he's not played with a guy like that. But um, Kunuckle looked okay. No, um, he's not an option. No, no, no. I'm just saying, out of that game, Kunuckle looked okay. Oscar Sundquist looked okay as well. Um, I'd like that's, to see... That's interesting. I'd right, like to right see wing. how it goes. Well, I don't, I don't know whether you'd throw him in there or not. I mean, it's one of those things... No, where... I'm raising the question. Maybe Look, you could. I know he's a center, but you can you go could. center to wing. I mean, I did it. I, I, I consciously made that decision because I didn't like back checking all the way 200 <laughs> feet. So I, I, I went from center to wing because I'm like, ah, screw going all the way back. Lazy bastard. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's hey, hey my Twitter bio has it right in there. Underachieving <laughs> Division three hockey player. I'm it's... well aware. <laughs> I am well aware. Look, Sunquist looked good. He didn't get knocked around off the puck, uh, fighting for board battles and, and, and things like that. It's, it's funny. You you have a look over the, the preseason gap um, well, between the offseason and the preseason starting, and almost all the players that you expected to sort of do what they were going to do pretty much have all panned out where you expected. Um, you know, I haven't got to see Sprong, but apparently um, he oh, looked I'm good. I'm so glad you brought him up. I totally forgot. Okay, go on. No, no, but that, that's the thing. Like, apparently Sprong looked good a, a, a against Seabus, so you, you get there with it and you go, he could get a nine-game cup of coffee at the start, then they're going to have to send him back to junior. Um, burning a, an entry year with him isn't sort of no, the same. No, no, I wouldn't do it. I think he's an no, automatic junior thing. He's fighting for the chance to have that kind of cup of coffee. Well, I, from what I've heard, I mean, there's still, what is it, game tomorrow and then four games next week. So He's playing tomorrow. It, that's what I mean. There's a very good chance that he could force them to give him that nine-game cup of coffee and then just send him back because they're going to have options to fill that fourth-line role. Why burn that entry-level year with him? But if he absolutely surprises the socks off them, I wouldn't particularly care if he did if they did burn that year and kept him up. I mean... You get there, and there are examples of players doing particularly well. Jordan Stall forced the Penguins' hand, forced it early, but it was worth it. There's nothing to say that Sprong can't be that. Oli Marta did it in yeah, well, his Jordan, second Jordan, year. 
Jordan found himself as um, a center on the second line with Evgeny Malkin on his left wing. Um, that's a lot different than being a fourth line right winger. So why why can't who's he bumping from the top? Why six? can't he do? He's not. He's just not. It ain't Phil Kessel, right? We agree there. Sorry, say that again. I just dropped. He's not bumping. Of... He's he's not bumping Phil Kessel, right? No, 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 no. And that's that's not. He's, that's he's not, not bumping Hornquist, right? No, no, no. Well, no. he's a natural right things. winger, so. Yeah. All right. Either way, from from what I can gather, he could slot into that for a cup of coffee. That probably times out reasonably well for when Eric Fair will be thinking about coming back. I don't think they should bring him back that early. But, um, you know, they did say, what was it? Was it December-ish, the start of December or Christmas? I can't remember. But I'd give him a fourth-line role with Colin and Plotnikov. Screw it. Yeah, no, I I agree. But then by the time that nine, those nine games are up, we're looking towards this sort of the – the end of October, which is, which is great, um, because then you're looking at Eric Fair wanting to come back into the lineup. I think they should hold off on that because you could then send Sprong back down and then, okay, rotate whoever you bloody want in that in that one roster spot down the bottom there. I mean, they, they're saying they want to play with eight D on the roster anyway, so it'll be interesting to see what they do in that sense with that fourth line role. Yeah. Um, I've I've really been impressed with Sprong, and, and Jim Rutherford has made comments in, in the last few days that they needed to hit on that draft pick because of uh, trading away the first round pick for Perron and then doing it again for Kessel, which I I don't have a problem with that. Those are two good, really top six forwards. One's a superstar, and one's a good top six forward. Um, you're getting proven commodities at least for it, whereas you're not always guaranteed that even put it this way, where the Penguins draft, there's a less than 50% chance you're hitting yeah. on a draft pick. Yeah. So to get strong in the second round, he said we had to hit on that. And I think they have, um, he's, he's got great hands. He's, yep. I think they've done well there. I think it's going to be one of those things. In a few years, people are going to be asking the question, how did this guy fall to the second mid, mid to late second round? Well, sounds like Brandon Saad. You yeah. Know, get there and say, it, it all comes down to circumstances as well and, and opportunity. So, you know, someone gets injured he, and he gets injured. Early. When someone does get injured with the way this Penguins team goes, it might be while he's still here on his nine games and ends up getting called up and moves forward from there. But you just you just never know with draft picks. And if they are lucky enough that you look back on this draft pick in four years' time and they go, wow, he fell to the second round, how did that happen? Then Rutherford's right. They hit that one out of the park, which is a relief. Who does Sprung remind you of? Um, I've not seen enough of him to give a comparison to anyone. I just know what I've read and people have been impressed with what he's offered. So it's like, why is this the case? Why? And it's, it'll be nice. Like I'll, I won't watch the game against Columbus tomorrow at four in the morning. Um, 
but I'll, I'll watch it later on and I'll be very interested to see how he goes. No, I was just trying to figure out who, who, cause I had a Twitter conversation with uh Dan Kovacevich and, uh, he said a more energetic Thomas Fanick. Um, I don't, I don't know. I, I, He's a much better skater, obviously, so I get the energetic part of what he was saying. Yeah. Thomas Vanek's hands are a unique brand. He's so clever with his hands and the tipping and stuff. I think Sprong is more of, uh, has a different set of hands than Vanek. I don't necessarily see that comparison. Um, Sprong has the ability to, to... Vanek was choppy. If that makes sense, Fanuc has always been choppy. Does that make sense at all? Mm-hmm. Yes, it more, does. He's he's more rough with his very skilled, but rough with his stick handling and all that other stuff. I think Sprong's more fluid. Um, I I I didn't have an answer. Like I was kind of caught off guard on who I. I've not, I've, not, I've not seen enough to sort of come up with an idea. Do I dare Can... say a, a, a better skating Alex Semen, kind of? Well... He's got a release. Not quite that release, but stick-handling mannerisms. Well, I just... I don't know. I'll need to see some games and, and have a look at him and, and see how it goes. I'm, the other, the other guy, week... though, was... Yeah. Uh, sorry. Um, no. Spezza and kind of how he handles the puck, except he his stick is not like the uh, Jason Spezza uses a telephone pole. <laughs> I will forever say that there is not a better player in the history of hockey that's had a longer stick and been able to have the puck on a string like Jason Spezza. But I think that Sprong kind of has similar hands in the fluidity of how he handles the puck like Spezza, but his stick is not, not the telephone pole that Spezza <laughs> carries around. And I would probably argue that Sprung probably a little bit better skater. Whether that translates into the wonderful, tangible career that Jason Spezza's had, we'll, we'll, we'll find out. But yeah, um, that was kind of the other guy that I kind of thought of. I guess you're limited when you kind of compare players. You, you compare them to the guys that are the same hand as them. That's just how our brains work sometimes. Of course. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so I guess there's that. Um, Yeah. So once Eric Fair comes back, that fourth line slot sort of doesn't become an issue. If you know what I mean? You you, you, you push Benino across to the wing. Dupuis can switch wings if you need to. Bennett can fall down to the fourth line or someone else can fall down to the fourth line. And, and that roster is very full and very complete. I'll be very interested to see how many games in total Pittsburgh play this year with what you would consider to be their choice of roster in both the, the back six and the, and, the, and, the, and the front 12. Well, here's the beautiful part about the, the forward part. Well, we, we covered off on how the defense has no wiggle room. Hmm. The forwards, really think about this. If there's an injury to, say, Hornquist, right? We don't, you know, that's a bad injury for Pittsburgh. You don't want Mm -hmm. that to happen. Okay. 
we'll go back to Pascal Dupuis jumping up on the right wing. And I know people probably don't want to hear this, but we'll go Kunitz, Crosby, Dupuis. Guess what? That's worked really well. Perron, Malkin, Kessel. I have a feeling that's going to work really well. I can think of a lot of teams that would love to have that top six. Yeah, and look, that's that's one of those things where there are contingency plans automatically put in place this year just from the extra depth that they've got. So you just get there and almost every Pittsburgh fan gets there and goes, surely this is the year that we don't have the litany of injuries that, that, that we've had across the lineup. Now, I don't care if they get particularly injured in the first 20 or, or so games. I just want them healthy enough through the year to get them to the playoffs and just have them healthy at the playoffs. That's all I want. Well, that's out of the, even the players' control. But, yes, yeah. um, variance would suggest that Pittsburgh's had its share of just complete uh, Disasters. horrendous. Yeah, I mean, it's been atrocious. Yeah. So. Uh, have we got any news and notes uh, outside of Pitt? I mean, we're not even going to bother talking about the goaltending position because it is what it is. It's flurry or nothing. Well, I'll say this. It doesn't pertain to this year, but Matt Murray's looking the part to be the successor. That timing's going to work out really well, if you know what I mean. Because you'd probably flurry. You'd probably play Murray as a backup next year, then look at moving Flurry the year after, or tell Flurry he has to be backup if Murray keeps going the way he's going. I I can't see them moving Flurry. I just can't. He's got well, four. He's got this year and three more to go. I, no, I just, his extension hasn't started yet. Also, he, he's got year, four, he's got this is four year more one of this. four. This is yeah, that's what I mean. This is year one of four, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So he's got this and three more years to go. I can't see them moving it until he gets to that last year. All I'm saying is Matt Mary looks the part, and that's a good thing. Oh, it is. It really, really is. And they might be able to actually decanter that switch from Murray to Fleury in Fleury's third and fourth year. And then Fleury just retires at the end because Murray will be the number one. That would be how I'd like to see it happen because I'd like to see him retire in a Penguins jersey, but that's not really how it happens these days. That's going to be a tough one if Murray does not fall apart because of the just the value that Murray's going to have from the salary. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, that... That'll be a tough one uh, from just a, a personal human being side of things because Flurry's a, a wonderful person from from where you know we get to view it from. He just seems yeah. like a remarkable person to be around. Uh, but it's it's a hard it's a cold blooded business, and that and, that's going to be the hard thing with a guy like Flurry. You get there and go if Murray keeps improving the way he has been you do get there and go at some point there, they're going to have to move Fleury on because you then lose the value of having the cheap Murray contract as your goalie. So it'll be interesting to see how that transition. Yeah, the, the, the Jonathan quick $1.8 million con Smythe. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So yeah. Anything else? Uh, no, not on the Penguins front. I don't think there's any news that we want to discuss outside of the Penguins with what's going on in the NHL. Um, uh, yeah, hockey-related, anything else? I mean, the injury ninja's already hit Boston. Uh, 
Just a so, plug. Yeah. Um, the Hockey Prospectus 2015-16 uh, book is coming out. Uh, it should be dropping today, the physical version that you can buy. Uh, you can go to HockeyPerspectus.com to get the digital copy, I know for sure right now. Uh, but, yeah, I think that's one of the best statistical, analytical books out there. Uh, obviously biased. I contributed to the <laughs> Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh Penguins and Columbus Blue Jackets chapters. But, um, you know, don't take my word for it. Uh, you can look at the list of people that have contributed to that book this year. I actually have the PDF copy, and I've kind of uh, had a chance to look at a few of the chapters so far. And uh, the work done is high notch. It's it's high brow, and it's uh, you know, for any hardcore hockey fan out there, I think it's um, it's a great purchase. And you know, if you're kind of unsure if this kind of book's for you, if you're not totally in love with the uh, analytics of it all. Uh, you can go to HockeyPerspectus.com, and there's a free preview for a chapter, and it's the uh, Washington Capitals chapter. So if you uh, just kind of want to get a taste of what the book is, you can get that free preview. Uh, but that's uh, very excited. The book's, the book's dropping today, and um, proud to be part of it for the uh, second year in a row. That's, that's really cool. Um, you do realize that you're, you're not a rap artist. You're not dropping an album. We're dropping a book. <laughs> uh, that's pretty cool. I suggest you look it up, guys. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, yeah, get by the book. <laughs> I got no plugs. No? No, I got no plugs. Just, you know, if you're enjoying this, guys, contribute. Just help us keep it running. Other than that, I got nothing. Oh, yeah, you could donate to this podcast. Or not. Yeah. You know. We're going to keep doing it even if people aren't listening. It's therapeutic for me. <laughs> uh, yes. Well, today was Pittsburgh only, but by the time next week rolls around, I'm pretty certain we'll have some pretty cool storylines to talk about that's more... Uh, you know, holistic on the NHL. Well, it'll it'll will basically be right on top of the start of the season. I think it what it'll be it'll be the second or third of October. So we'll be right on top of it. So, all right. Until next week, we'll 